friends. Today, we're talking to Nicole Ertaz, a global brand strategist, best-selling author, and founder of Free Range Partners, a collective of independent change agents who live on the edge in life, in work, and in thinking. I first met Nicole a few years ago at one of our Amen Integrated conferences. You've all heard me talk about these meetups before. Our global network of agency partners gets together several times a year to collaborate and challenge one another. The Integrated Conference is an awesome mix of disciplines, including digital, creative, media, and UX. So I was excited that there was a speaker on the agenda talking about brand. In this meeting, Nicole shared a little bit about her book, Free Range Brands, and I deeply resonated with her concepts and thinking. I myself have had the benefit of working on one of the world's leading brands, both as an employee and now as an agency partner. Seeing the concept of brand evolve and change through the years with the advancement of digital media has been a wonderful journey, but not without some pain. The first time I heard Nicole speak, she gave words to what I had been feeling for so long. I'm excited for you to listen to Nicole's ideas on branding, as you will immediately feel her creative energy. She really has a great perspective on her client challenges, and she also knows how to work with teams to get things done. I know you'll enjoy the discussion. I'll start by having you introduce yourself. You know, I was thinking back to when I met you, and I think it was at one of the Amen Integrated conferences, and you were giving a talk on branding. And I remember just falling in love with so many of your concepts because I came up in the agency business very much in the era of like inside to outside branding, right? And you were talking about that, and you did too. You come from sort of the CPG background. So I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about how you came up in the business and some of the brands you've worked on, and then ultimately deciding, I guess, to go out on your own. So I did grow up in traditional CPG. Uh, After business school, I went to SE Johnson, which was a very traditional CPG model of building brands. And you had to learn that model and grow up in that indoctrination before you became, you know, you got your wings as brand manager. And and I got to a point where I was a global director at Jim Beam, building brands all over the world. And what was happening at the time, this was early 2000s now, you know, brands were just changing. The brands that were really, you know, that were having great success we're breaking all these models that we were taught you, you don't you don't even touch you know you don't even question what were and, some of those i remember you talked about windex and you know working in the sort of yeah. spirits industry like what 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 were you learning at that time well i mean it really starts with the basic fundamentals of a positioning model a positioning model has a bullseye target it's one um, it then starts with a very functional benefit, which is what you do that other people, you know, that you lay claim to and a support point or a reason to believe that. And, um, and then it overlays some personality or emotion to help your creative agencies bring some humanity to, to the idea when they develop creative. Okay. And when we built these, they were built to run, these campaigns were run built to run one to two years as a singular message um, to the world before we started to measure wear out, right? And so now, as, well, not now, but even in the early 2000s, and um, it, the brands that were surviving were these ones that were kind of like all over the place. Okay. And yet, they still had some untouchable core to them that wasn't so obvious that 
seemed to be just so elusive to me, but also so uh, compelling because brands could partner and talk to different audiences and be different things in different conversations. And I thought, how in the world am I supposed to do this with this one positioning statement? Right. You know, and this one message. Right. So you started to notice these brands getting a lot of engagement and traction, it sounds like. I see it as a continuum. On one end, there is, you know, what we were taught, which is just that brand core, that hyper authenticity about. And I don't mean authenticity in a human sense. I mean, like, what are you? What do you do? How do you speak? Where are you placed? You know, it was very controlled and very regimented. And on the other end of the spectrum, there was maybe some startups that weren't, you know, you know, traditional brand builders that were trying to be all things to all people. And those are equally not healthy. The trick is striking the balance, you know? And so the idea that I I realized was like, how do you build a brand that has that authentic core, but can reinvent itself and re-express itself? I agree with you. When I came up in the business, it was about clarity, consistency, and character. Those were the three C's of branding that we talked about with every client. But as the proliferation of multiple platforms came into play, this idea of context and how people were coming to the table and meeting them where they are, like these kinds of ideas started to bubble up. So when you started noticing those trends, sort of what what did that inspire in you? Because I want to pivot to kind of how you decided to write your book, Free Range Brands, um, and then um, ultimately open your own business, Free Range Partners. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, it, the reason it came is because I was getting very frustrated. I didn't know why I was getting frustrated. I was just <laughs> feeling frustrated because I felt like these other brands are doing something really cool and we're not doing this. And I don't even know what this is. Right. But, you know, after you get so indoctrinated into a way of building a global brand, um, it's really hard to. Uh, introduce another way. And and it wasn't like that way was really clear. And it was at the time, um, I wrote the book at the time when my frustration was building. <laughs> sure. Because I felt like, actually, it wasn't a book I was writing. I just started writing. And, okay. then, and then at some point, I started blogging. And I was trying to figure out what are these brands doing that's different. And I realized more and more that the environment that I was in, um, the frustration was coming from a place that it was so risk averse uh, that it was becoming paralyzing. And that's when I left my job. Right. And I decided to take some time off um, and I was going to write this into a book. And the reason I called it Free Range Brands was because to me, it started to feel like the difference between helicopter parenting, where you have to just control everything your child does, uh, to this idea of free range. So a woman wrote a book called Free Range Kids, I think. And it was this idea of letting letting them go and letting them learn and giving them a core a core belief and a core set of values that when they encounter all the different things that you can't anticipate as a parent, they believe and operate and make great choices. And I started to see these parallels. And so the idea of free range branding was, okay, how do you set a brand up for this unpredictable marketplace that is just flipping on its head? Uh, without being frenetic and chaotic and inconsistent and walking away from 
what really is important, the important fundamentals of building a brand. Absolutely. Identifying how to engage with brand communities was something that you talked a lot about the last time I heard you speak. Talk about how you can move from this rigid structure to really allowing that freedom that you're you're speaking about. Well, what I started to observe was this idea of community came to life because of social media and communities that were rallying around brands. And what I started to notice was the big brands really bought into this idea of community, but they bought into it as an idea of what they wanted versus how they were going to get there. So every brand wants a community. And the social structure of community means the community runs the brand and the brand is the leader, but not by forcing down its values, but by inviting consumers in and providing different platforms and arenas to express and not being afraid of where that might go. Absolutely. Well, and I think a pitfall that we fall into a lot when we talk about, you know, building brand communities is finding people that love us and focusing on those folks as influencers. Now, not that that's a bad strategy, because obviously they have an audience and a following um, and there's a place for that. But talk about the difference between influencer marketing and people who already love the brand versus just joining the conversations that are already happening where the brand might show up. You know, we started early on with Uh, influencer marketing. It was very much finding people who had a following and hiring them to push our message out. This is just another way of applying our old models to the new environment, right? It's just finding those loopholes to push, push, push. And consumers are onto that. They know, you know, they see it, they get it. It's not that you can't go further and make it look more authentic, but it does have a ceiling. The job of the brand is to create entry points for people to come and interact with your brand. And then you as the facilitator of the community can find those people that you think share your values, share your voice, and connect with them more deeply to give them what they need to spread the gospel, so to speak, of what you believe and who you are in a way that's authentic to them. So it's just a matter of of broadening the conversation in a natural way versus forcing more opportunities to push out messaging. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the model that you came up with when you were writing your book and sort of how you came to these aha moments. Like I said, I was I had now left my job and I was taking on a lot of really big clients. And the question they kept asking was like, how can we be like these younger brands? How can we be like them? And I really felt like I needed to find some sort of pattern and framework uh, because every brand was doing something different. And, and so I spent a number of years studying uh, what I thought the brands that were really effective in this new marketplace were doing. And what what I saw were these four behaviors. And they're really ways that consumers interact with brands. And it was consistent across all the brands that I looked at. And it it really boiled down to this framework. It was really a balance between um, you know, what's authentic to the brand and what is relevant to the times, um, balanced with what the consumer values are and how they're connecting with your brand. So, so what that netted out were these four quadrants. And it's kind of hard to explain verbally, but I'll just tell you the four archetypes, so to speak. So the first is lovers. And lovers really connect with your values. They build, they connect with you on who you are and not what you are. And that's really where I start with brands, especially some of the older, more established, large organizations, whether they're really big 
B2C companies like Nestle or SC Johnson or really established B2B brands and businesses, there is emotion in there. And um, and how do people connect with your brand on that level? If we can't answer that, it's really hard to move on. Um, and so that really, A, flips the model on its head versus it's not a functional story, it's an emotional story. And that builds that chemistry. And where we go from there, we call those lovers. And where we go from there are moving into um, the lords. And the lords are the people that operate like influencers, but what they are are people that want to share the story. And so what's really important to activate them is to give them something that that their followers haven't seen. And when you feed them that information in a special one-on-one way, they can sh- and let them share that with their followers. Then it's much more authentic, it's much more real, and it has a lot more value. Interesting. The third archetype is the hackers. And in today's uh, uh, time of community, people want to build your brand. They don't want to be told what it is. They don't want to be force-fed consumers. They want to be um, active, actively building your brand. And I call these guys the hackers. And a hacker can be anyone who wants to speak with you and gets a response to anyone who can weigh in on innovation, to um, really taking your own community and listening to them and driving innovation by what you're hearing very bottom up and then crediting that audience for um, what they've done and what they've said and how they've helped build the brand, that builds an enormous amount of commitment and community. And then the last archetype is called the hawks. And the hawks are really, um, they come from a, they, they really come from decades of built up frustration around companies just not being transparent about who they are and what they do. And the hawks are out there ready to out any company or brand or leader who is not authentic and is not practicing what they preach. And so you can activate your hawks, but you also have to make sure that you're living, you're you're really practicing it from from every angle, from who you how you how your internal culture is, how you treat your employees, how you treat your vendors and partners, um, where you source, uh, it all will matter to the Hawks, and you need to make sure that you're thinking about that. Um, it's not behind an iron mm-hmm. curtain anymore. It's there for everybody to see. That's amazing. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, because I remember when you presented this framework um, at the conference, we had a breakout session and we sort of took the model and applied it to um, an ideation session. You know, we had a creative brief and we sort of said, which of these models make sense? How is this going to lead to our positioning? So walk me through what you said in terms of you think every brand should evaluate and have sort of ideas around each of these areas. um, And how do you marry that with is there a place in time when you're building a campaign to sort of identify which of these archetypes your audience might be and like sort of hone in on a messaging strategy for those individuals? Yeah, so I think there's a there's a way to think about each each of them in their own light, but it really all starts with how are you connecting your organization values to the products or services that you're offering? Mm-hmm. And when you can do that, it really starts with um, unearthing the the you know when people talk about the purpose or the why we do what we do, it really ladders you up from just being like I said the most the most antiquated model is the positioning statement you know taking a positioning statement um, into I, I talk sometimes about like 
are, are you striking a position, a pose, or a platform? And so a position is really like, we do this for these people because we're better at that. It's very functional. It's kind of a dead end of a story. It can be very monotonous. It's really hard to have a two-way conversation. I sometimes equate that. I equate brands to, um, if you really humanize a brand and your brand went to a party, is it just going to stand there and yell its name? You know, is it just going to keep saying the same thing to to anybody it talks to? It just seems ridiculous when you think about it in that context. And then there's brands that try to affiliate with other causes because they really don't have their own soul. So they try to borrow that equity by going, oh, we'll, we'll partner with, you know, some other cause and that will give us a human soul. And I kind of think of those as poser brands because they really don't have their own soul. They're borrowing it. Right. And companies, I mean, consumers and customers, they see through that. It isn't, it isn't coming from an authentic place, but then you can ladder up to this idea of a platform and a platform is like an umbrella that gives you lots of different directions to go. So it takes your authenticity and it can rain down across all of your partners and your promotions and your, you know, one-way ad campaigns and your social two-way campaigns to your brand voice, to who would you partner with? What would you do in a crisis? How would you respond? Do you respond? When people understand who they are and what that platform is, then you can really start to take all of your um, activation and apply it through that filter. And when you when you do that, everything just is really natural. And the, the byproduct of that that's even better is it gives you a compass to operate when things are moving fast and unpredictability strikes because you know right away which way to go. Whereas anyone else who hasn't done that work they're paralyzed and they're just paused in shock, like we see a lot of companies now. That makes such good sense. And I'm so glad you talked about defining your why. Um, several of the interviews on this season have gone there and really, you know, on an individual level, knowing your purpose at an organizational level. Um, and so are, are you saying that brands should really always start with identifying the connection with their lovers and sort of build on from there and activate in all places? I really do, because what that does is it links your core purpose to the... it. it, it makes the connection between who you are as an organization to who, what community are you uh, inspiring? And it answers the question. Like a lot of times when I start with clients, I'll say, what's your obsession? Why do you get up and come to work in the morning? What is it you're trying to do? And you know, it's really hard for them to think beyond the date. It's forget, forget the, the annual goal, the five-year plan, the, you know, vision statement that's usually very dry to be the leader in, you know, this industry. That's not motivating to anybody. And so if you can't figure out why you're there as a leader, you're never going to be able to build a culture that's motivated and you're never going to be able to connect with people. It's just, you're just never going to get there. And we as an agency have really embraced even the Simon Sinek model of, you, you know, what you do, how you do and why you do it, right? Why do you show right. up to work every day? So I think that that's awesome that you start there too. And sometimes you hear out of your client's mouth, well, that's right. what it is. That's why you show up every day, yeah. right? Right. And so talk to me about a few examples, you know, that maybe you've had those moments where 
when you ask somebody their why, it's hard to put words to the emotion, but when it comes out of their mouth, you just know. And and give me some examples of how that's, you know, grown legs and taken off for a few of the brands you've worked with worked with. Yeah, um, I recently worked with an organization that uh, was a destination, and I, I can't talk about uh, who it is at this point, but um, it was more of a, um, an attraction. Uh, and they had a lot of different offerings that they would draw people to. Uh, it was a, a very large company that offered different um, tours and museums and um, restaurants. And all their marketing was about what they did. And I spent, and they were looking to figure out how to elevate what it was they were, um, what they were bringing to the world. And I spoke with so many people in all the different organizations, all the different, you know, sub organizations within the larger entity. And uh, what really came out was this soulful connection. And so we we've we started building around that. You know, I think one of the greatest things a brand, a real brand strategist can do, um, and it's something that as a brand strategist, it's hard to sell to somebody because they don't know that they need it right. until they get it. A lot of times people come, almost every time clients come to me with a different problem. Than and what you almost saw. always... Yes. And almost always it gets down to exactly what you just said is talking to them for a while and listening almost like a therapist to hear what is that human soulful truth that lies underneath all of it. It's not just the soft side behind it. It's how does that soft side connect to what it is you just did in the world and what you are bringing to your audience? Because when you make that link, then you're on a platform to grow. Without that link, you're just, you know, what a lot of companies are is just a really good, nice story in the about us section of their website. Sure. When I read about people who have worked with you, they say you are this like perfect mix of, you know, insight strategist, sort of the account planner side of our agency business with the creative side. And it, it takes a special human to be able to work both sides of your brain and identify both the research, <laughs> well, to know both the research and data that can inform the brand emotion, but then be able to see the connections that inspire that. So, you know, huge kudos to you. Talk about how you t- have taken that skill set in to really build your business, which supports both brands and agencies, right? I have to say, I lean more heavily on the creative expression side. That's really where my where my passion is, but it it has to be informed by the it has to have the the kind of the building block fundamentals, yes. you know? And so my philosophy is really very open-ended on both sides of it. It's very open-ended on what's possible strategically. Sure. Um and what are the what are the most extreme possibilities? And then let's pressure test them a- around what our constraints are. And then on the creative side, it's okay. Let's stay in this playground right here. But how far can you push it? And oftentimes, I feel that sometimes with constraint, often with constraint, you become much more creative. Look what's happening now. Everybody's trapped in their house. I think this whole. I'm actually like, I'm actually very inspired to do my next podcast, and I might do it on like the the explosion of innovation in the constraints of coronavirus. 
I could not what you see more. online and what people are doing to get through this is brilliant. It is. And I have had more think space. And so I find myself pushing our agency and, and myself. And, and, and that's hard. And in a time when people are dealing with the muck of the day to day, right? Yeah. But if yeah. you are love, you know, innovation and creative thinking, you can't help it, but go there if you have the time to do it. I think people who don't even love it are finding it for survival. Absolutely. For yeah, survival. no, it's so like important. People used to think creativity and innovation is just like, you know, for fun when every, all survival is, you know, if you think about Maslow's needs, well, now truly it is innovation need. and creativity is a need or you're going to go crazy. Well, I love the picture you painted for us, you know, um, as far as how to work with creative. So I come from the strategy side of the business, um, but my partner, Maggie, she came up through the creative side and um, she was our executive creative director for a really long time. And we have learned to work together so well because she says, Misty, I need the box. I need the framework, right? Um, Because she said it's not about thinking outside the box. It's thinking about really creatively in the box through the funnel. With the agencies that you work with, do you find that some are losing the big idea because they're so focused on the multitude of channels and platforms and data and technology. I mean, I know there's lots of different kinds of agencies, but how do you help agencies sort of keep that in the forefront and create space for that? Because I know you do a lot of workshopping and probably have a lot of models to help them get there. Yeah. Um, I think it's not just agencies, it's the clients too. It's, it's really hard, uh, to not want to be part of everything that's going on. Um, I want to be on Facebook. What's our, what's Insta? What are we going to do for Instagram? What are we going to do on Twitter? What are we going to do on stories? What are we going to do on Pinterest? Do we have a YouTube channel? Right. You know, and, and, and it just, and it's not going to end. And so I think, you know, the idea is, again, it gets back to who are you? Who are you trying to talk to? And then let's talk about what's, what's the right approach. You can't be everywhere. You can't be native to every platform. You can't create that much content that's relevant. You can't keep up with it. And if you're not ready to really invest in who you're talking to, what's the right channel to talk to them on, in what way, with what type of content, and be prepared to not only put that content out there, but listen and and respond and engage with how your audience is in taking that content in and then learn from them and improve that i agree with you i you know i was in a, i was on a call with a client a global client the other day who said you know i have responsibility for marketing around the world and um it, it used to be about omnichannel, and now it's about what's the right channel for that area of the yeah. world, right? Yeah. Um, it's, and it sounds like you have tons of experience in the social media landscape. Um, we work heavily in email marketing, um, you know, really direct yeah. marketing. How yeah. do you um, sort of help clients choose the right channel? Well, I'll tell you, you're going down the right path with that because um, I listen a lot to um, Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. They're really great on content marketing. And uh, they have been preaching for years, and I'm a big believer in this, that it's a rent or buy decision. When you are building your communities on social platforms, you are renting them. And when you are building, look at, look at, and then, and then what happens when you rent? You aren't in control. You aren't, you don't own the place. You can't redecorate. You can't, you know, you don't have what you need, um, but you can access a lot of people really fast and it's all laid out for you. And it's very tempting versus buy or build, uh, which is making sure that you're building your own community through email, 
through the direct connection or direct to consumer. And I'm not saying that's right for every business, but when thinking about how you build your marketing funnels, a lot of organizations will say, well, I don't really need their email. We can get way more fans or yep, I'm hearing you know, this a lot. <laughs> build a bigger community on social. Definitely. But look at Vine. Like, oh, well, you had your community there and they just went out of business. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to imagine Facebook or any of these guys will go out of business. But it it's not hard to imagine that they're going to get tighter on the regulations. They're going to get tighter on the... Um, on the visibility they give you to your consumer, and they're going to get more and more expensive, and they're going to put a stranglehold on how you connect with your audiences. And when you own your own community, you can speak to them directly. And there's a lot of value in that. Even if it's a community of 100, 1,000, 5,000 people compared to perhaps you know, if an organization is just starting that versus perhaps hundreds of thousands or a million on social, when there is a crisis, you can reach your community directly. When you want to field research, you know, I may hear, well, it's cheaper to me to field research on SurveyMonkey. I don't need to build a an email list for that. No, you don't. But when you look at um, like Dollar Shave Club and why they can learn from their own community just by having a direct line into, uh, it may not be traditional research, but it, it's a lot about ongoing learning and ongoing feedback. You can get that with your own community. You can't always get that with a rented community. And so um, I think you really should build towards your own community. I think that is... Uh, I really, I really would have a hard reason um, understanding why anybody wouldn't, sure. but I would always push for that first and foremost. That makes such, and good that sense. doesn't mean you don't use your social channels to get there. Right, right. You can sort of top of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. I love right, this, right. this idea of leveraging it for research um, and quick research, right? Like polling or right. you know, just quick feedback. Right. You also mentioned crisis communication, which I know has been a big yeah. focus for you. Recently. Yeah. I listened to one of your recent podcasts on that subject. So talk about what you're learning in that space and how you're sort of taking that insight back to your clients that are focused on ensuring their brand strategies on point. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We recorded that before any of this hit and it was just quite timely uh, because our guest on the show was very um, adamant that uh, as a crisis leader, uh, and as a leader of an organization, you need to prepare for crisis before it hits. Absolutely. And one of the values that we both agreed upon got back to understanding who you are as an organization. Again, totally. it, it all gets back to that. It does. And it, the internal motivation of a why and a purpose statement is as important as your external marketing. And I know you believe in that too. I was perusing your website before the call and just, you know, recognizing that you work a lot with teams. You work as focus on team building and you feel like that's core to the work you do. Tell us why. Because in this world of it all coming from a single source, you can't be an organization that doesn't, if your internal culture is going to is going to be mirrored in your community. Yeah. There's no way you can manufacture an external community if your internal culture doesn't reflect those values. It's impossible. And right. you'll get outed by the hawks at some right. point. And so, you know, what really um, I think is important is to recognize the, the reverse of it's not just uh, putting... It's it's we're moving from this idea of a manufacturing economy to a knowledge economy, which really shifts from a top-down monarchy to this bottom-up sure. feed. And if and 
And what that means is that not just bottom up in community up, it's bottom up from employee up. And if your frontline people in your organization are, if your organization isn't set up to be able to take information from the outside and and bubble that up to the top so decisions can be made in real-time learning and you're still operating in a place where decisions are coming from the top down and being pushed out, it's not... Um, it's it's just it's you're not going to be effective. And so, how do you switch your teams? How do you recruit people? How do you make sure that your internal culture is is the starting point of what you try to express in the external world? And to me, I don't think they can um, operate without each other. Absolutely, I have a passion for team building and alignment. Um, I find that we often go in at a time when maybe a company is going through a leadership transition, or they're going through a merger or acquisition, and they need to reevaluate their brand. And while I love what you said about the knowledge economy and sort of creating space for bottom up ideas, I still believe that the leadership's why um, needs to be sort yes. of embraced, have discussed, you know, clarity. There, there's definitely a place for that. Yeah. And it sounds like you think, you know, the same. Well, I think um, that is owned by. Um, I think. I think. I, I think you. I. I don't want to mis- misinterpret learning, uh, meaning the marketplace environment, and the marketplace conditions, and what we innovation opportunities coming from bottom up to um, purpose being something that uh, we we ask our customers who we are. I think uh, in that regard, purpose comes from the inside out, but it really has to be, it, it does define who stays in your organization and who doesn't. Right. You know, if you say this is who we are, you're naturally saying this is who we are not. Your why comes from who you are. And, and like I think we started to talk about a lot of these older organizations didn't begin with that. And many of them are not family-owned companies or they've transcended, you know, management leader, you know, professional leadership for decades. And they may not have a why, but I do believe every company can uh, identify that and get really clear as to who are they in the marketplace, why are they special, and what are they going to put their stake in the ground for. And that, I think, very well means if they go through that change, that some people will stay and some people will not. And and I think that's healthy. I do too. I love that. You know, as you were talking, um, I also have a note here that you, you do some speaking on leadership in the post-digital age, recruiting and retaining millennials, um, which I think so many of us are struggling with. So tell, give us a few insights on that and how that dovetails into this conversation. Well, I think millennials, they want to help build the organization. They don't want to be told what it is. They want to take an active role. They want to, they want to, they don't want to wait until they're senior, senior leaders to be able to have an effect. They want to have an effect today. And so there's ways to do that to bring in this really great thinking. People want to share the greatness of where they work and what they do. You know, they don't want to be. Like I just go to my work every day and, you know, I don't care what I do. It's separate from what I believe. They want to share the beliefs of who they are and what their organization is doing in the world. And that would be the Hawks. And they want to be ambassadors for that organization to the outside world on their own Facebook pages, on their own. They want to share what they're doing at work and they would be then the Lords. So it's like, if you 
there, there are ways to take this model and say, how are we introducing these concepts internally to create employees who are lovers, who are advocates, who are influencers and ambassadors, who are engaged with building this organization because they own it. They own the organization. And the leadership is the facilitator of the destination. I love it. All right. Well, we only have a few minutes left and I want to dig into um, some of your newer ideas. So I was out looking at some of your most recent articles and you wrote this article called The 10 New Rules of Brand Building. Talk about how your ideas have evolved even since you wrote the book and um, maybe what's inspiring you right now. Well, some of those ideas just, I think, were pretty provocative uh, in my early days. In fact, that that was something I wrote and I didn't publish it in the book. And, and years later, I decided to publish it. And it really is around... Um, just the world we live in today. So, you know, one of the things is that learning learning used to be an annual event where we would plan for it. It would take many months to field the research. Then we would get the research back and then we'd have to like analyze it and rework it a hundred times so we could, you know, bring it up to our senior leadership and then everybody would debate it and then we would figure out how we're going to use it. And it's like, by the time that's all done, everything has changed. Yes. And it's not an annual event anymore. Everything, we have to set our organizations up so we're learning it, it is an everyday event. And it's part of the and, culture, and right? It, that's right. And 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 to me, the bigger idea is like innovation isn't so much in the what, which is the annual release of or maybe something new every year or two, but it's in the how. How did we express ourselves today? Where did what did we try today? You know, how how are we finding new distribution channels? How are we trying new things? It's innovation is everywhere and every day, and it has to be, or we're gonna fall onto that side of monotony and um just not having anything to say. But again, when you do the work and have a really clear understanding of your core, you can connect with people on a human level and not on a functional level, which allows your brand to be a great guest at the party versus the guest that nobody wants to talk to and doesn't get invited next time. Right. Um, you know, this idea of courage and preparing to be tested, courage is mandatory is one of those rules. And, and you know, moving into, you know, taking risk. Um, it's balanced with this idea of recklessness leads to destruction, which is a very old, um, you know, saying. And and it's you've got if you don't know who you are, there's a fine line being between courage and recklessness, right? And so if you know who you are, you must be courageous. If you yeah. don't, those you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. Anything you do, um, and so we say, prepare to be tested. Anything you do is going to get is going to get tested. And if you can't stand behind it, um, and it's going to be tested by your hawks, you better not do it. And that's part of the comment around or the discussion around crisis. You know, are you thinking one, two, three years ahead of the decisions that you're making? Do you feel those are consistent with who you are? Because even if they're provocative and, 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 you know, really out there, that's fabulous. As long as you're willing to stand behind them, you can't turn around and run. Right. Um, you know, I've always I, said I often that, say, sorry, go on. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, marketing requires bravery, right? It's like standing yeah. for something. And so right. I've, the best marketers that I've had the opportunity to work with really can sell what their ideas are and go to bat for hard things and, and also be able to respond if something doesn't work and pivot, right? Right, right. And, uh, 
it's, um, I think it's more, it's very inspiring to creatives to push it. I think clients tend to be more reserved about really pushing. Um, and that's where the trick tends to be is getting people to push in, in some new directions. But today there's so much noise, uh, that you don't want to just be, you know, look what Gillette did when they, they came out with that campaign, you know, it was like, they were just being out there and trying to push it. I can't remember, um, the name of the campaign. I shouldn't have brought it up, but it was the, uh, the real man, you know, right. Like they tried to stand for something provocative when they really didn't own it. And, um, and they got just trashed. Yeah. And, and so the idea is that you need to know where you're going and you can't, you know, one of the, one of the tenets is public opinion is not your guide. You can't ask, you can't interview your way to your soul. You can't, find who you are by asking other people. I love that. You have to find that within yourself and in your core and within your own leadership team. And it has to be authentic to what you think your organization can do. Right. But then you have to live it and you have to build off that. Yeah. That's a great reminder. So, you know, not just creative for creative sake or being so connected to your community that you forget your core. And I think that those are awesome insights. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I always like to end my interviews understanding a little bit more about what makes the person tick. So um, I'm just, I I guess I'd ask you in our last few minutes here, what are some of your sort of core truths, things that you have come to believe at your core um, as a human, as a leader, as a marketer, and sort of how would you, what advice would you give us um, as we end the conversation today? You know, I think I have personally found success by staying true to my own oddities and <laughs> you know right uniqueness yes. and that didn't always serve me it didn't serve me frankly in a corporate organization yes. because i was always kind of the person with the sledgehammer wanting to blow everything up and <laughs> um it you know it didn't really work well in a very structured environment sure. and i was always frustrated and they you know it, 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 to a degree the organization loved my passion and then to a degree as i got more senior they're like tamp it down right. um and you know when i went off and started my own business i uh i tried to then um create structures that i was taught and things didn't really i couldn't i couldn't personally like enforce the structures cuz i didn't buy into them but i didn't know another way so i i tried to create structure and i cry, i tried to find people who could fit those roles and i found myself floundering a lot like the people who fit those roles i didn't really like them or i didn't really click with them and what i've done is i've come to like say okay uh, i'm free range brand. So like, what does a free range partner look like? Like I have to apply this thinking and this belief system to my organization. And, and what that means is rather than finding people to fit a role, I think I like, I, I have come to believe that I find people that are just really unique and great in, 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 in something that I think could fit, and I almost don't always know what that is, um, and bringing them in and, fi- and trying to adjust my own needs to tune into their uniqueness and their passion points and give them more of a vision. And rather than feeling frustrated with them not finding my vision in my way, f- finding a way to be delighted 
in watching them reach for a shared vision in their way. And so I've I've come to apply my own thinking that my job as a leader is to stay true to a vision, but not be constrained as to how we get there. I love ending on that, Nicole, because this whole season has been about how organizational values and really everything you've preached to us today about knowing your why and your purpose and sort of finding, you know, Uh, people who love you for the same reasons that you live in the world. I mean, that's how you're leading your team. And so you've come to those same conclusions for yourself on an individual level. Um, And so that's kind of like the theme of the whole season two of Marketing Sweat. So I think that's an awesome insight that you left with us. Well, again, I can't thank you enough. I could tell how many things you were holding in your head during our discussion at one time, which I think (laughs) is inspiring as a a true creative can do that um, and connect so many dots so quickly. So um, I am truly honored that you shared your wisdom with us today, and I can't wait to share the episode. Thank you, Misty. It's a pleasure speaking with you. All right. Well, we'll be in touch soon, Nicole. Thank you so much. I knew that Nicole wouldn't disappoint when it came to explaining how a once inside-out method to branding has really evolved. Her approach to reaching a brand's community by always starting with brand lovers is a great way to think about defining a brand platform. But as she notes, it doesn't stop there. We all want to interact with the brands we love in a variety of ways. So hopefully her model around lovers, lords, hackers, and hawks really got you thinking. If you want to know more about Nicole or her work, just visit freerangepartners.com or look up her book, Free Range Brands, on Amazon. And if you like this interview, give us a review. We read them all and would love to connect with you. You can download all episodes of Marketing Sweat Season 2 at marketingsweats.com or subscribe to our show wherever you find your podcasts. As always, I'd love to chat with you. Contact me directly on LinkedIn by searching for Misty Dykema. Talk soon, marketers. Check back for more real-life accounts from hardworking marketing pros.